Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. happy today. Filled with the joy of the Lord. There's no better way to live. Amen? You ready for the Word of God today? It's what makes the change in your life. The Word of God applied by faith, living, breathing, moving in you. That's what makes your life victorious. There's a power in God's Word that when it goes forth, it does not come back void, the Scripture tells us. In other words, there's a power in it that has a creative ability to dominate any situation and change it to the will of God. How many wants the will of God to come to pass in their life? Amen? And by faith, we're going to see exactly that, do, do that today. So I'm real excited about this message the Lord's put on my heart. But first, we're going to make this confession. We're going to say it by faith. Amen? Everyone get your Bible, whatever you're using for your word, and let's go ahead and make this confession that you know and join in with us. We say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am, I have, what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess, my mind's alert, my heart's receptive, and I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, incorruptible, the ever-living seed, the Word of God. I'll never be the same, never, 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 in Jesus' name. Amen. Shout hallelujah if you believe it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This is going to be the New Testament text, if you will, if we're using that formal language. New Testament text, Romans 8, 28. And then we're going to go to the book of Esther. You know, the Word of God, it agrees with itself. Amen. The Word of God's a library of 66 books. And it's a miraculous book. The book you hold in your hand is truly, is truly miraculous. It has 66 individual books that were auth- or penned down. There's one author, the Holy Spirit. He authored his word. But there was over 40 penmen that the Holy Spirit moved upon to write down those books that we've compiled into a Bible over the course of 1,500 years. And there's not one time where there's a contradiction in the word. Every person that's ever tried to come against the word of God and say, this contradicts that, If you just sit down and read it and study it, you find out it doesn't. And that in itself is miraculous. So what's a beautiful thing about this is we're going to be in the book of Esther, and I'm going to show you six scriptural principles to walk in the favor of God in your life. You might say, well, what is favor? Favor is, generally speaking, favor is when someone shows you kindness shows you, they they do something on your behalf and make a way for you. That's what favor is. And I don't know about you, but I think out of all the persons there are, the person that I want working on my behalf is God Almighty. Because when He purposes in His heart to work on my behalf, 
There just ain't nobody going to stop them. And so what I want to do is I want to live a life completely saturated by the favor of God, by the kindness of God. I want to be in situations where unopenable doors swing open, where impossible situations flip on their head and turn around. When someone says it can't be done, and then God does it. I want to live a life filled with the miracle power of God, which means we're going to live in the favor of God. How many wants to live in the favor of God? If you do, say amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You've heard this. You've definitely heard the first two-thirds of this scripture. But we're going to read the whole thing. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things, someone say all things, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I said two-thirds. It's probably first third. Generally... I have heard, not picking on anybody, because it's easy to do if you allow your mind to forget the word. It's easy to do and kind of paraphrase it. Well, bless God, we know all things work to good. Amen. It's not what it says, does it? Well, you're being a stickler, AJ. Yes, I am. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called to His purpose. There have been times, unfortunately, and I don't want to be unkind or unmerciful. But I love you too much to, you know, just glance or glimpse over something. There have been times you've been there, I've been there. There's been times where people have inappropriately said, well, we know all things work to, to our good. Amen. And the reality is the situation, I'll make it personal. That way I don't offend anyone. I have done some stupid stuff and things didn't work out and it was my own fault. And it wasn't because God did it. It's because I got out of a place that wasn't loving God and was not called to his purpose. Therefore, it did not work to my good. And I have no right to blame God for when it don't work out. God is good. He is perfect. He is kind. He is merciful. He is loving. He is compassionate. And he'll, he will favor you when my heart is turned towards him and I'm called and submitted to his purpose. And that's the key. So you look at it, really, most of the time when you see a scripture that's a covenant scripture, you know, covenant, what's the difference between covenant? We don't use that word a whole lot. You might think of contract, but covenant and a promise. What's the difference between those two things? A promise is, tomorrow I'm going to come by and cut your grass. That's a promise. It only requires me to do something. A covenant is, I'll cut your grass for, what's going right for a loan nowadays? $30, $40, $50? I don't know. I don't cut grass for a living. But if you pay me, I'll be there to cut your grass. That's two parts. Someone's got their part, the paying. The other person's got their part, the cutting. That's a covenant. When you look at this, this is a covenant scripture. We know that all things, we could read it this way. We know God's working all things according to our good when we love him and walk according to his purpose. Do you see that? There's two parts there. God's doing his part, working things to our good when we're in the love of God John 14, John 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said. If you'll yield and obey to the word of God, that's a form and a, that's a visual display that I love you, Lord. That even though this world, what they say is completely contrary to this holy book that I believe is from you, your word. Even though everything else says this doesn't work, I'm going to submit myself to it because I want you to know that I love you. 
And I want you to see, visibly see that I love you. So when I'm walking in the love of God and according to His purpose, then God is working things to my good. And that's the key. That's where you want to be. You know, we've probably heard that story of Esther. If you would turn with me to the book of Esther. And and I'm just going to take you through six little points here in Esther. And the moment I said the number six, my wife said, AJ, you better not get long-winded on point number two because you told us six, and I ain't leaving here until we get all six. Don't tell me six and you only get to five. Esther chapter two. We've probably... You know, we've probably heard this story many times or at least parts of this story, but there's a whole, whole lot here in this book. And really, honestly, you know, we're reading our Bible through this year here at Gospel Tabernacle. If you've fallen off the wagon, don't let the wagon run over you. Get back on it. All it takes a couple chapters a day. You might think, well, I just, you know, just heard about this, and we're already in the month of May. Start the day and finish by next May. Amen. The race and the competition is with yourself, not someone beside you. The main point is get the Word of God in your heart and do it daily. You know, Chris and I were talking about playing guitar. And I said something. I said, you know, I should be a lot better than I actually am at guitar. The only reason I am is good, and I'm not that great compared to other people, but the reason I have the level of ability that I have is I just didn't quit. (laughs) I should be better along, further along than I am. It's the same way with the Word of God. Just don't quit. Keep filling your heart and your mind with the Word of God. Well, that's simple. That's right. Faith is simple. Keep filling your heart and your mind with the Word of God. You could sit down and read this entire book of Esther in about 35 minutes. Listen to it this morning while I was walking. 43 minutes. Didn't take long at all. You can hear, and that was with all these, you know, big, wonderful acting voices. And, you know, anyway, you know, anyone ever do the audio Bible? And you think, where'd they find this guy that talks like that? It was in the seventh day of King Xerxes. You know, it's like, who are you? You don't live around here. I mean, we don't, we don't talk about it. I don't know what you're talking about. But you go through the book of Esther, and the entire book of Esther is time and time again a story, not just of Esther, it's Mordecai, it's the people of God, but it is a story of God's favor. And in the life of Esther, we can see what Esther did that positioned her in a place to walk in the favor of God. When all opposition was against her, when everybody was against her. And the first place I want you to see this is Esther chapter 2. Esther chapter 2. Look at verse 8. Before I read that, let me just catch you up on speed. Chapter 1, what happens? King Ahasuerus, he has an idea. He says, you know what, I'm a pretty great king. I'm ruling and reigning 127 nations. I think I'll throw a party for the best person I know, myself. He throws a party for himself. And they just start having a good time. And then the alcohol starts flowing. And they don't make people drink. You know, the Greeks and the Romans, if you came to a party, they had a saying, if you don't drink, leave. He said, he said, no, we're not going to force anyone to drink. But the amazing thing is, they all got drunk anyway. After all these men, and they split up the men and the women. Queen Vashti, the first queen that he had, or the top queen that he had, he had some other ladies there in his harem as well. They're having their own party. The men are having their own party. All the men, they get good and drunk, and then they have a great idea. Let's have Queen Vashti come walk around, and we can look at how beautiful she is. Queen Vashti says, Nuh-uh, I ain't walking around all you drunk guys. No way. That's why Proverbs 30, Proverbs 31, 4, 5, and 6, says that alcohol and intoxicating drink and wine is not made for kings and princes. It's, it's not. Wine will make a mockery of a man. It will change your spirits. That's why it's called spirits. 
And so these guys, they have a real bad idea. They get drunk. They have a bad idea. Vashti won't come and parade herself. So the king says, all right, fine. Uh, Have it your way then. And then all his buddies say, well, what you going to do, king? You told your woman to come over here, and she said no. What if all the other ladies in the kingdom get word of this? They might start showing out at home. We got an idea. This turned out to be a real good Mother's Day message. We got a good idea. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Oh, I got places I could go, but I don't want to get beat up before I leave today. Uh, we, we, got, we, we got a good idea. You need to make, a, make a, a, a show, you know, a demonstration of Ashley so all our women don't get out of control. You just tell her she ain't queen no more. And King Hazarus, full of wine, says, and around his buddies, that's right. That's exactly right. Get her out of here. She ain't queen no more. Beginning of chapter 2 says, the next day, Ahasuerus remembered Vashti. What in the world did I do? Where is she at now? And I can't go back because then all my buddies would make fun of me. So the buddies have another good idea, which wasn't a good idea to begin with. The first one wasn't a good one. This was even worse. Well, you got rid of Vashti. Let's go get you another woman. So they have a beauty pageant. This is the A.J. Bible commentary. It may not be as anointed as some of them. But it's got a few laughs in it. So they have a beauty pageant. And Esther wins. Now notice this. Verse 8, chapter 2. So it was when the king's command and decree was heard, when many young women were gathered to Shushan, the citadel, that's the capital there in Persia, under the custody of Hegai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Hegai, the custodian of the women. Verse 9. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave beauty preparations to her beside her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place. Someone say best place. And the house of the women. There's six different keys here that I saw in the book of Esther, and this was the hardest one to kind of locate scripturally. Because I didn't want to just make something up. I didn't think, oh, I'm going to find six keys. Let's see if I can find it. In study, I found six places. I find six distinct places in the book of Esther where she experienced favor. But this was the last one I could figure out. This is the last one I had to pray about. I didn't quite understand it. Because the other, other five that we're going to look at are very cut and dry. Esther did something and she got favor from God. But this one, she didn't do anything. She's just selected. But she has favor with the head man that is in charge of all these ladies and preparing them to go before the king. So much so that in this beautification process, you know, I th- you know uh, some of you ladies, you go to the salon and do different things. You know, I think, you know, I went to the barber shop, had to get a haircut the other day, and I was there about 45 minutes, and I thought, my goodness, this will take forever. You ladies think, we're just getting started 45 minutes then, you know, doing different things. These ladies had a year-long beautification process. You wouldn't mind, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? A year longer doing this, going to the salon and the spa. A year, thank you very much, yeah. But Esther, she got much more than everything allowed to all these ladies. Why did he got this eunuch, which, uh, not to be vulgar by any means, but there was something physically, a physical surgery, surgery done to these men that served in the palace so that they would have no natural desire for women. And that happened to Hegai. He was a eunuch. So he, he might think, well, I'd like to be the man in charge of all these women. Eh, there was no natural desire there. 
So there's no natural desire because Esther's beautiful, which we're going to see she was. She was inside and outside, lovely and beautiful. It's interesting the way the Bible puts that. Lovely outward appearance, beautiful her spirit. So he got, why did she turn her heart toward Esther and give her more resources and give her the best place among all the women where to live and stay and give her maidservants? And what I found out, really honestly, through prayers, it's very simple. God has a purpose. Remember, all things are working to your good when you love God and you're called to His purpose. God has a purpose. And His purpose is to build His church on the earth. And when you get behind God's purpose, you get favor on your life. Esther had favor because she was one of God's people and God had a purpose and by favoring her, God is saying, here's an invitation to come work with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we have the privilege to co-labor with God. You know, we've got all different types of co-workers, maybe some good, maybe some bad. But we can be a co-worker with God. And, and it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the kingdom first principle, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. When you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, then all these things shall be added unto you. Well, what are all the things that will be added? Everything you have need of that's written in those previous verses, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, where you live. Let's be honest. What I just described, that consumes most of our time in trying to provide those things, rightly so, for our families. But God said, if you'll make first things first, you'll make my kingdom and my righteousness. If you'll give that first priority in your life, I'll make sure that everything else is well taken care of. In this first instance of Esther receiving favor from God, it was because God had a purpose. You know, lots of times Christians, they will do this. And I'm not trying to beat up on anyone because I've done it. But there's a better way. There's a higher way. You can sometimes say, Lord, this is what I'm doing. Please bless it. It's easier to say, Lord, I see what you want to do on the earth. Build your church. I'm going to do that. And I believe everything else I want to do will be blessed. That's the key, I'm telling you. If you grab a hold of that, if you, if you just literally, you, you think, well, I, I'm, you know, AJ, you're in full-time ministry. I am. I was doing this before I was in full-time ministry, and I realized that was a, that's what a blessing thing. When you order your day, when you say, you know what, I'm going to wake up in my day, and the first thing I'm going to do is give God time to pray, time to read his word. What is that doing? That's saying, Lord, I'm going to put first things first. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I could be doing, a lot of little tasks I could be checking off, going here or there, but I'm going to give myself some more time in the day, whatever sacrifice that requires, because I want to put you first. I want to get behind your purpose. And when you do that, your family will be blessed. Your marriage will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. Your bank account, your business, the company you work for will be blessed. Your coming and your going will be blessed when you say, Lord, I'm all about your purpose. Any way I can work your purpose into what I'm doing and glorify you in what I'm doing and bring people into your kingdom, I'm going to do that. And in my doing, I believe you'll bless everything else my hand touches. That's the key. That when Jesus is no longer, you know, like a side dish 
to the course of life. You know, you get your main meal and pick some sides. Well, you know, what Jesus is doing, we'll add a little bit of that over here. But when he's the main thing, every other aspect of your life becomes so richly favored by God, it's like you're walking from one miracle to the next. And this first instant, you can't find it anywhere else. There's no other reason. Why did God favor Esther? Because God had something he wanted to do in that Persian kingdom. God knew that Haman, this wicked man, was going to be turned in his heart by Satan and he was going to try to completely eradicate all the Jewish people in the kingdom of Persia. You might think, well, big deal. The kingdom of Persia went all the way from Ethiopia to India. It was the largest landmass kingdom in its day and age. Powerful. So probably all the Jews that did live and were in existence were in that kingdom. And so if you don't know the story, go read it, go check it out. There's a guy named Haman. He doesn't like Esther's cousin, Mordecai, because he won't bow. And there's a whole lot there. But essentially, when Haman says, well, Mordecai won't bow to me, I'm going to kill him and his whole family. How many ever millions of them there are? Lord knew that. The Lord was setting up an opportunity for Esther to come work with him to not just bring salvation to her, but every Jewish person in that entire kingdom. And when you turn your heart toward the Lord and say, Lord, have your way in every area of my life. I surrender to everything that you are. I'm going to put you and your kingdom first. Everything I do, I'm going to find a way to have it benefit your kingdom. I'm telling you, when you do that, you will hit a flow in your life that is supernatural. And no devil in hell can touch you. Esther is promoted. Esther's promoted. The next thing I want you to see in that same chapter, look at verse 15. So after this year of preparation, look at verse 15. When it came the turn, now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, so Esther's father was Mordecai's uncle, so they're cousins, but there's a big age difference there. Mordecai basically adopts Esther as his daughter. To go into the king, notice this, she requested nothing but what Hegai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Essentially, each one of these ladies that's in this beauty pageant of sorts, and we say beauty pageant, it's not exactly like that, but this, this uh, group of l- women who have been prepared to go before King Ahasuerus, they've already been brought basically into his many, many his house of many wives. So think about that. Not necessarily the best situation and God's going to turn it around. You know, you might find yourself in a bad situation. The favor of God will completely redeem that situation. We see that over and over again. Moses, Joseph, the the ministry of Jesus. You might not be in the exact best situation. Don't give up on it. The favor of God can turn it around. So what we see here, these ladies, each woman, if you look at verse 13, just right before, each woman went before the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters for the king's palace. Now, now notice this. Esther only takes or only adorns herself with what she's wearing, jewelry, hair, whatever it is. She puts on what he got, the chief eunuch, whose entire job is preparing wives for the king, she only wears what he got, tells her to wear. 
The other ladies, they go in and they probably get what they think looks good. But he guy, the man whose entire job is to prepare the women for the king, he knows the king, he knows what Vashti liked because that's what the king liked. He's got some inside information here. He's been around this whole process. It's all new to Esther. Esther takes advice from he guy. If you want to walk in favor, wisdom will make way for the favor of God in your life. When you submit to godly wisdom and instruction, it will open up doors for you that would otherwise take years to open if they ever do open. Proverbs 12 verse 15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. See, that's the problem. Every idea I've ever had I thought was a good idea because it was mine. But he who heeds counsel is wise. When you'll submit yourself to some wisdom and some instruction, it'll open up doors for you. Because, you know, we don't know everything, amen? We may think we do sometimes. We have to repent of that when we realize we don't. Proverbs 18.20, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Notice that, that language, I just saw that, wise in your latter days. If you'll receive instruction and counsel, you'll not just be wise today. You'll live long enough to be known as a wise person when you're old. Because wisdom is a form of salvation. Wisdom tells you what you need to know, and you gain knowledge and understanding without having to endure the hardship it took to get that knowledge and understanding. Right? We talk about it. Well, you know, I went to the school of hard knocks. What does that mean? You had to learn it the hard way. But you could take instruction from someone who learned it the hard way so you don't have to live it the hard way and bypass the hard way and get to the end result of what they learned from living it the hard way. I'd rather bypass the hard life and get the information and wisdom that you might gain through the hardship. And that's what Esther did. She submitted to some wisdom from this head eunuch. No, it wasn't her pastor. It wasn't a prophet. It wasn't an apostle. It wasn't wasn't someone that had been studying the law day and night. He was a Gentile, but he knew something. He knew what what the king liked. And what happens? Verse 17, same chapter. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. Look, you might say this isn't this is not a you know, this is a misogynistic very uh, king right here you know he's just a he's just a bad man you're right I would not disagree with you especially we're a little bit more fragile in 2023 very much so but let's be honest if you're going to be among the women you might as well be the head woman it's like the life don't look at me like you don't agree it's like the life of Joseph if you're going to be in the jail and in prison you might as well be the head prisoner. You might as well run the jail. (laughs) If you're going to be a servant, you might as well be over all the servants. Look, I'm talking about redeeming situations. It may not be the best situation. I ain't saying you got to stay in it all the time. But if you're there, I mean, what's the option? Death? Uh, You know, I don't even identify as a woman. I'd rather be the head woman. Verse 17, the king loved Esther. Y'all caught it. It took about three seconds. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. Look, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins who he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. 
She got some grace and favor on her life. Not just some. She got the most. She was elevated to a place of authority in the world's largest kingdom that had ever existed, the richest kingdom, the most powerful kingdom in all of existence because she got a little bit of wisdom. And that wisdom opened up a door. Now, turn two chapters over, Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. The purpose of God makes way for favor. Wisdom of God makes way for His favor. This is the third, play, third thing I want you to see. Complete surrender makes way for the favor of God. It really, it really comes down to that first point, His purpose. God's working all things to the good of those who love Him and are called to His purpose. God has a purpose in the earth. What is His purpose? To build His church. What does it mean to build His church? To win the lost and to disciple those who have been won. What is God's purpose? To get as many people on their way to heaven, living like it's heaven on earth. That's God's purpose. What's God's purpose? To preach and declare the saving word and knowledge of Christ so lots of people will go to heaven. And when you get behind that purpose, everything, everything's favored in your life. And part of doing that is complete surrender. You've got to get to a place where you, you count the cost and say, I'll freely pay it for Jesus. It's like that old song, Give Me Jesus. Or, or, or There's another one, wasn't it? The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. There, there has to get to a point where you say, you know what? I, there is a cost to following Jesus, but the reward for the cost, the, the cost is pales in comparison to the reward of serving my king. Now, we probably get to probably the most popular verse that has ever been used out of the book of Esther. If you've never read, read, uh, read, if you've never read this book, you've probably heard this verse, verse 14. And we're going to read our way into it starting at verse 11. All the king's servants, this is Esther speaking to Mordecai. Mordecai, uh, chapter 3, forgive me, I'm stumbling here a little bit. Chapter 3, I need to tell you this so you understand. Chapter 3, Haman, who is a very wicked man, He's actually the seed of Agai, an Amalekite, who God said he would make war with in Exodus 17. It's very interesting, but God says in Exodus 17, when he reveals himself, I am Jehovah Nisi, I'm the Lord God, your victory. He also says, I will make war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. So you fast forward about 1,500 years, and God's still going to make war with Haman, who is an Agite or an Amalekite. God's still making war with those, those Amalekites. Why? Because they attacked his people when they were thirsty. Right before Moses strikes the rock in the book of Exodus and water comes out, the Amalekites attacked the people of Israel from behind. And from that point forward, God says, you have struck my people. You've come against my people. You're now my enemy. The last place in the world you want to be is on the wrong side of God. Because he is loving, he is kind, and he is merciful. But just like... It's Mother's Day. Just like a good, wonderful, loving mother, come at her children and see what happens. The bear comes out, right? Mama bear. Yeah. And so someone attacked his people and said, all right, you're now going to be my enemy, but not just for today, for generation to generation. Haman is one of those descendants. And it's interesting, even within his heart, motivated by Satan, he wants to wipe out the Jews because Esther's cousin, Mordecai, won't bow down to him. Why won't Mordecai bow? 
Because the people of God never bow to the enemies of God. The people of God never bow to the enemies of God. We bow to God alone. Well, what if they try to take us all out? They'll take me out standing because I ain't been in my knee. The people of God never bow to the enemies of God. So a decree comes out by Haman. He deceives the king. And in this day and age, when the king says something, it's not reversible. It's set in stone for generation to generation to generation. And Haman sends out this decree in chapter 3 that we're going to kill all the Jews. Mordecai sees it. When he sees it and he reads it, because he works in the palace too, he tears his clothes, puts sackcloth on, ashes in his hair, and he begins to pray and fast and weep, verse 3 of chapter 4, along with all the Jews. Esther doesn't know about it. She's living in the peace and solitude and security of the throne of the palace. She doesn't know all her people are going to be wiped out. So Mordecai says, look, this is going to happen. You've got to go before the king and get some favor from the king so this won't happen. That's when you get to verse 11. This is the reply here. Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command of Mordecai, verse 11. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called... He has but one law. In other words, you don't just walk in the throne room like we can before the king of kings, Hebrews chapter 4, boldly into the throne room of grace and mercy in the time of need. You can't do that in this kingdom. If you walk into the throne room unannounced, they cut your head off. Unless put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. I ain't even seen the king for 30 days. It's been a month since I've saw the man. And you want me just to waltz up into the throne room? Don't you understand, Mordecai? It's going to cost me my life. Verse 12, so they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. They're going back with dispatches here. It's, it's early days of text messaging. They're telling a person that person's running the message back and forth. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, notice this, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai is telling Esther here, according, they know the word. At this point in the timeline of the Bible, they already have the entire Old Testament, apart from Daniel and Ezekiel. Had, uh, yeah, Malachi, Zechariah, a few books. They have the whole law. They got Psalms. They got Proverbs. So they know when the Lord said in Genesis chapter 3 that though the serpent will bruise the heel of man, there's one coming whose heel will crush the serpent referring to the Messiah. That's why Haman, motivated by Satan, wants to take out the Jews. Because if I can kill the Jews, I can kill the Messiah. Because that's the bloodline that Jesus is coming. And that's the purpose. See, that, that's where you catch it again. The Lord has a purpose. And Mordecai's telling Esther, you can either get behind God's purpose and do something about what is coming against your people, or you can try and play it safe and hide in the palace, but they'll, they'll get you too. 
It comes down to this. The safest place in all of existence, in the entire universe, is right in the middle of the will of God. When you get out of the will of God, it gets real dangerous. And it'll cost you your life. Here and now. Here, now, and in eternity. But when you're in the will of God, even if you go somewhere where it could naturally cost your life, it'll save your soul. You know, Jesus said that in Matthew 16. He said that if anyone, he said, you know, the the reality is, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. And that's what Mordecai is telling to Esther. He said, don't you understand? You're in the kingdom not to keep you protected from what's going to happen to all your family and all your tribe and, and kinsmen. You are there because God has favored you and he's giving you an invitation to work with him. Don't you think that for such a time, for this very moment, Esther, this is why you're where you're at. So that you can do some work with God. But what's it going to require from her? Complete surrender. Verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. If I perish, I perish. But I'll die doing the will of God. You might think, well, that's not very happy. What is the alternative? Saving your life but losing your soul in the process. See, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it's just kind of like Romans chapter 8. It's often quoted, but not the whole thing's quoted. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, They overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto death. We usually hit the first two parts. They overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony. All right, hallelujah, yeah, woo! But we, lit, we missed the last part. And they loved not their life unto death. That's the King James way of saying it. The New King James says they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And even if it costs their natural life, they don't surrender. Because victory is sure. Now, the reality is 99.99999% of us will never lay down our life physically for the gospel like a martyr. But the truth is every day you have to lay down your life for the gospel. Because what God's looking for in Romans chapter 12 is a living sacrifice. It's one thing, it's like when people talk about their kids. I'll die for my kids, but will you wake up every day and live for your children? And give them a godly example to follow. Will you display the love and the power of God in your life? Will you be a praying mother and a father? I understand you may lay down your life if it costs you that for your children. But will you live for your children? Because here's the thing about a living sacrifice. When it gets hot on the altar and you're alive, you want to crawl off. Dead sacrifices lay on the altar because there's no life left. But a living sacrifice has to say, Ooh, Lord, it's getting hot up in here, but I ain't moving. Because I've surrendered myself completely to the Lord. There's something you might, man, you know what? I, I, I could go different ways with this, but I just want to tell you, that's the heart of Jesus. It may not make you want to jump up and run, but there's victory in that. When you get to the place you say, Lord, 
there's just nothing that I love and desire more than you. And I don't care how it's painted, how it's described, what the world will say. Oh, I thank you for your blessings, Lord. But when it comes right down to it, I want you in your presence. And I'll let nothing come in between you and me, no matter what it costs. When you get there, you walk with power with God. You become a man or woman clothed with the power of God that is unstoppable. So what happens to Esther? Well, notice this. Number, this is the fourth thing. Prayer and fasting makes a way for the favor of God. We, we don't want to skip over it because we're, what, about five, ten minutes away from our Mother's Day lunch. So the next thing we should talk about is praying and fasting, right? Talking about not eating. We all, we've all probably been thinking for the past two days what we're going to eat for Mother's Day. What are we going to take Mama out to eat? So the best thing for us to talk about is not eating for a minute, right? There is a supernatural power in prayer with fasting. Now, just fasting, just not eating, that don't do anything. God is not, the power of God is not displayed in the life of a person who just goes on a hunger strike. There's been people in other, other religions, they fast all the time. They got no power. Can't set nobody free by the power of God. They themselves may be demon-possessed by unclean devils. They got no power. But there's something very supernatural and spiritual about simply pushing the plate away. And you take the time you would invest into your natural self, which is nothing's wrong with it. You can't fast forever because if you do fast forever, you go to heaven a lot quicker than you planned on. But there's something very supernatural about just pushing the plate away and say, Lord, instead of spending time investing in this physical body, I'm going to spend more time in prayer more time in study of the Word. Jesus said, when you fast. Some Christians thought he said, if you fast. Jesus said, when you fast. There's a time to pray and fast. Let's be honest. If your whole family is going to be wiped out by an evil man, you probably don't have much of an appetite. Hey, let's go to the beacon, get a cheeseburger plenty. I'm about to be killed. Most people probably don't want to eat. So take advantage of it anyway. When you don't know what to do in naturally and things are going sideways in your life, Man, I'd push the plate away and say, you know what? I'm going to get some understanding from the Lord. I'm going to get into prayer. And I, you know what? I don't even need to feed this body. I need to feed my spirit because what's going to take me through a time where the enemy is attacking my life is not a double cheeseburger of plenty. Come on. I know it's anointed, but it ain't that. It's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit to break this thing in my life. And that's what happens. They went on a dry fast. They didn't even drink water. Turn the tap off for three days. I don't know. I don't know when it happened in culture because I remember most of my teenage years doing it, even to this day. I can't leave the house without a 32-ounce bottle of water. Why is it we can't get hydrated? Everywhere we go, we carry bottles of water all the time, but I don't know when that happened. Maybe, we didn't, maybe they didn't, people didn't do that, but it's like everywhere we go, we've got to drink water, drink water, water. These people didn't even drink water for three days. Your spirit cries out different when your flesh ain't in the way. You might say, well, I don't know about that. Jesus said in Matthew 17, when he's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, when he's been glorified by the power of God, he comes down to a situation at the bottom of that mountain. His nine disciples, three went with him. The other nine that were there, they couldn't cast a devil out of this little girl. And the, and the parent says, I've come to your disciples and they can't get this devil out. And what does Jesus do? Cast the devil out. No problem. 
Someone say, no problem. No problem. They say, why can't we do it? He said, well, first, unbelief. Then he said, verse 21, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There is levels and authorities in the kingdom of God, and there's levels and authorities in the kingdom of Satan. And if you can't control your own body, you won't be able to dominate the authority of God over a devil. If you can't take control of your own self, you're not going to exercise authority outside of yourself. And these people, they, they hit, they get in this three-day prayer and fasting. And what did it do? What happened when the people of God prayed and fasted for three days? It saved an entire people. You know, we talk about revival, we talk about a shifting and a changing, we talk about things being broken by the power of God and wickedness being pushed back, but it may take more than an hour and a half on Sunday to see that come to pass in a nation. It may take more than a few minutes blessing your food, and that's all the prayer you get in in the day. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad or hurt anybody's feelings. But if there is a holy conviction come on you because you say, you know what, I can improve in the things of God, then, then take it by, being, by the Holy Spirit convicting you. But because, you know, it, it would be like me getting in the ring with, with another AJ, Anthony Joshua. He's a British boxer, heavyweight guy. If I got in the ring with him, even, even if he wasn't training, like he took six months off, this beautiful face would be you wouldn't be able to notice it. Even if the guy took six months off. Why? Because he he's went through a level of discipline that I have yet to touch. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, natural men and women will discipline themselves to run a race to win a temporal prize. To get that, think of the Olympics. Think about those guys that sprint. They'll train four years for what, a 30-second sprint? Four years to run one race. Or the, what I really like, the weightlifters. They'll, they'll train four years to do three lifts in each category. Three. You might think, it takes me longer than that to get, you know, just get everything moving in the morning. Three repetitions. <laughs> they work four years for that. And what are they going to get? Something that possibly, if they win, hangs around their neck. And something, when time goes by, they can say, I used to be able to do that. But when you invest in the things of God, you get something eternal. And there's just nothing more costly, there's nothing worth more than seeing you, your marriage, your family, your children, our nation, set afire with the blaze and power of God, living for the Lord and seeing many people go into the kingdom of heaven. And they discovered that. We're going to finish up real quickly. Esther chapter 5, verse 1. Now it happened on that third day, after three days of prayer and fasting, Esther put on a royal robe, stood in the inner court to the king's palace across from the king's house. And while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house, so it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went in, touched the top of the scepter. The king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given up to you up to half the kingdom. 
So Esther answered, If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I've prepared for him. Three days of praying and fasting to simply give a dinner invitation. What do you want, Esther? I'll give you up to half the kingdom, which is a phrase simply means I'll do anything you ask. Would you come eat dinner with me? This is the fifth thing. Humility makes way for favor. Esther prepares a banquet for the king and Haman. You might think, why didn't she... Why? I don't know, naturally you might think, the king said I'll give you half the kingdom. Okay, king, give me the half that has all the Jews in it. So Haman can't get to them. That might work, but that's manly, man's wisdom because I thought of it. So maybe it don't work, and usually man's wisdom doesn't work. Rather through humility... It's what 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about in verse 4. Now, that verse right before it talks about concerning a, a, a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. You know, if you're in that situation today and you're a wife that believes in the Lord, but your husband doesn't, and you want your husband to come alongside you in faith and serve the Lord beside you, what they're saying here in, in, in this verse, verse 3 of 1 Peter 3, says, you know, don't worry all so much about the outward appearance. Some denominations and religions have taken verse 3 to say, well, that means no, one, no women folk need to wear jewelry and makeup and, and they got to look this certain way. Meanwhile, the men can wear watches, which last time I checked is jewelry. I've seen some of these guys that are in these denominations. The ladies, uh, no jewelry, no makeup, no nothing. You know, if you don't want to, that's fine. But, you know, nothing. And then the guy comes up to preach and he's got a Rolex on. And I'm thinking, man, that's a $20,000 piece of jewelry. And you're telling them, women folk, they can't wear this or that. You know, ah, something not working out there. But verse 4 is the key. He's saying, look, go to the hidden heart of the man. It's the spirit. That meek and quiet spirit will win people to Christ. You living like Jesus in front of other people will win people to Christ. That's what Esther did. She could have asked very greatly naturally, but what she did... Through humility, she said, King, I just want to serve you. I just want you to come eat dinner with me, you and Haman. And what does she do? She has a, a wine banquet. And then the king says, Okay, what do you want now? She says, I want you to come back again to another dinner. I want to serve you one more time through humility. And then if you go to Esther chapter 7, that's when Esther tells the king, This evil and wicked Haman has set his heart against my people. King, if I found favor in your sight, if I have found favor in your sight, won't you just spare the life of me and my people? And the Ahasuerus, the king said, what are you talking about? This wicked Haman. He's trying to take out my people. The king gets so upset, he leaves. Haman then falls at the knees of Esther. He's begging for his life when the king comes back and says, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, now you're going to try to make a move on my wife. They immediately snuff him out and take him, and they hang him on the very gallows that Haman was going to hang Mordecai, Esther's cousin, on. Because what favor will do, it will take the enemies of God, and it will take those enemies of God and use their own devices against them. That's why I never want to be on the wrong side of the Lord. Because when you're warring with God, He's going to win. But He don't just win. He takes your own weapons and uses them against you. And Haman built 
gallows to hang the Jews on, and he hung there from he hung himself from there. The very thing he was going to use that he thought he was going to use came back on him. And how did it happen? Esther, through humility, invited the king to dinner. Haman had a sword. Esther had favor. Haman had gallows and armies ready to take out the Jewish people. Esther had favor. And what's even, it doesn't stop there with her. Chapter 8. It's the sixth thing that makes way for favor is supplication. Supplication is a word we don't really use that often, but it simply means to pray for someone else. You know, the most rich, wonderful times of prayer you'll have is when you spend it praying for other people. Nothing wrong with praying for yourself. There's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. If you have a need, go to the Lord in prayer. But I'll be honest, most of your time should be for praying for other people. Because most of what we deal with is something that we should command ourselves to do. Now, I understand you have some need of healing, provision, something like that. We go to the Lord before and pray. Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, Lord, I don't know why I'm angry. Make me not be angry anymore. Lord, I don't know why I'm mean. Every time I open my mouth, I say something mean. Lord, make me stop. Stop it. No, just close your mouth. If every time you open your mouth, you don't like what you're hearing, close your mouth until you reword, change those words in your heart. That's not the Lord. If he could zap us and make us just talk right, I would have been zapped a long time ago. But what I found out is the Lord says, I've given you one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Ooh, that'll preach, won't it? Self-control, glory. But when you begin to pray for other people, favor comes on your life. And in Esther chapter 8, remember what I told you? Haman, he writes this law, and it's signed by the king's signet ring. It's a law that cannot be reversed. Esther goes before the king a second time. Most of us only know, because when I was studying, I didn't even realize this until just this past week. I always thought it was just Esther went before the king once. Esther went before the king a second time. In the same exact fashion, this time she didn't pray and fast. This time, she just went in. Because when you win a victory in God, it's yours. And what you get by prayer and prayer with fasting, what you get by faith in the Word, you don't have to go get it time and time again. It's yours. So the first time Esther and her whole nation pray and fast, and she goes before the king without being invited. The next time, she just walks in. There's a boldness that comes on you when you're surrendered to the things of God to where you don't have to work yourself up in prayer. You just walk in that authority because you want it in victory. You want it in battle. And in Esther chapter 8, Esther just walks in again and tells the king, look, how can I sit by while all my people are going to be perish? Are going to perish? Because Haman, you didn't know it, king, but Haman deceived you and sent out a royal decree to 127 of your provinces in a day and age before email, text message, social media, by way of foot, on letter of parchment. He sent that out uh, about a month ago, and to, you know, in the next day or two, all these people that Haman has set up throughout the entire kingdom, they're going to kill my people. And the king says, do whatever you want. So her and Mordecai write a new law that all the Jews can protect themselves. And even to this day, Jewish people celebrate this festival called Purim. And it's the day of celebration where the Jews defended themselves against their enemies. They took out 75,000 
810 people in two days. Because what Esther won for herself, she also won for her nation. What you can win by the favor of God doesn't just bless you. It changes generations. It changes families. It changes cities. There's a power. I'm talking about walking and living in a power with God that marks the earth for thousands of years. Esther's been dead and gone in heaven for a long time. And still to this day, the favor of God that was on her life is celebrated time and time again. If you would, would you, would you please stand up on the stand up and we'll go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I come before you, Lord, and I bless your holy name. Lord, I'm really thankful for you, God. And we love you a lot. Lord, you're so kind to us. You're so merciful. You're so compassionate. You're loving. And what you have planned and prepared for us is good things, good plans. It's your word, it's your life that fills us with your power and your might, Lord, and opens up doors for us, God, makes a way for us where there is no way. It's your favor, Lord, that what we need, we can see, Lord, if just by our natural eyes, we can look around and see that even here in our own city, state, and nation, Lord God, uh, Generally speaking, and we don't say it to be pessimistic at Lord, but if we were just to look through natural eyes, we can see that uh, many, many, many people not only are not living for you, Lord, but they're living in opposition and as an enemy to you, Lord God. Lord, our desire is your desire. We want to see those people come to Jesus, saved and set free and made brand new in Christ. We want to see those people fill this church and the churches of the land, Lord, to be made strong disciples so that they would have your life flowing in them now and in the life to come. We want to empty hell and populate heaven, Lord. In order to do that, Lord, we need favor. We need favor with our family. Lord, we've got family members that aren't living for you. But we need, we need something that's on us that when we speak to them, their ears perk up. Lord, we need favor on the job. Because there's people, whether it's by natural motivation or even <laughs> demonic motivation, Lord, there's people that they'd love to see us just be kicked out altogether. But we believe the favor of God exalts us to a place in due time so that we can bring glory to you, Lord. We need favor in the business place so that we can continue to take ground in the business world for your glory. Lord, we need favor everywhere we go. And we thank you that by the blood of Christ... We have access and right and an inheritance to that favor, God. If you're here today and you think, you know what, I, I, I want to live a life like Esther did, that everywhere she turned, the favor of God was on her. Every no became a yes. Every closed door swung wide open when she walked toward it. Here's the thing. The first step to favor with God is being made right with God. And if you're here today, on this wonderful Mother's Day as we celebrate all the precious mothers that we love and care for so much. One of the greatest things you could do is to give your life to Christ. There really is a hell. 
that we are deserving of if we are to die in our own sins. But the good news is that there is a heaven and Jesus took the punishment of our sins so that we wouldn't have to go to a real place called hell, but rather spend all of eternity in a place called heaven. And the good news is it starts right now here on earth when we yield to Christ. The Bible says that when you believe in your heart that Jesus is the risen Son of God and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, or more likely you're here today and you think, you know what, I have at one point, but I haven't been living right and I need to get right with God. I need to make things right with the Lord. If you're here today in person or you're watching online and you want to do that, you want to make things right with God. You want God's favor on your life by way of faith in Christ. Would you raise your hand right now and we'll pray together and we'll pray that prayer of salvation so that the favor of God can fill your life, fill your heart and your mind. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Say, Father, we thank you for the blood that favors us. It speaks a better word. It speaks forgiveness. We put our faith in Christ. We believe he is the risen Son of God. We say with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Lord, by your power, I expect your favor to make a way for me in my life. Let your favor open up doors for your purposes, for your desire. We thank you, Lord, that truly all things are working to our good because we so greatly love you and we are called to your purpose. In Jesus' name. Oh, if you believe it, say amen. Lift up a hand clap to the Lord. God bless you. Thankful for you. Thank you for listening to this faith-filled message. Please connect with us at our website, gospeltabernaclechurch.com, so we can continue to be a part of your faith walk. And if you're listening today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, now is the time to do that. Now, today, is the day of salvation. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, I believe you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins on the cross. And you have raised him from the dead that I might be alive in him. Jesus, I confess you are Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome. You're now in the family of God. You're a child of God. Connect with us. Let us know if you prayed that prayer. We want to be right there alongside you as you walk out this journey of faith in Christ. God bless you.